Hello and welcome to the Haaretz Podcast. I'm Allison Kaplan-Summer in Tel Aviv. Protests are back in Israel. They started with solidarity vigils for the Israeli hostages held captive by Hamas since they were kidnapped on October 7th. But as the war between Israel and Hamas wears on with no end in sight, no hostage deal on the table, and the feeling that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has no vision of the future for Gaza or for Israel, other than a vision of political survival for himself, increasingly Israelis are taking to the streets. Joining the podcast to talk about the new protest wave is Moran Zer Katzenstein, leader of Bonot Alternativa, Women Building an Alternative, the women's group whose handmade costumes became an emblem of the massive wave of protests against the government's judicial overhaul last year. That overhaul and the protests against it were halted by the outbreak of the war. But first, here to explain how this new wave of demonstrations began and how the various protests differ from each other in nature is Haaretz reporter Linda Diane, who has been out covering them week after week. Linda Diane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Allison. So we all remember last year, beginning in January, Israel experienced the largest wave of protests in its history— fighting the Netanyahu government's judicial overhaul. It grew incredibly quickly. Israelis were fighting to stop what the majority of them thought would move the country away from being a liberal democracy, removing the balance of powers, and promoting the agenda of a dangerous right-wing ultra-religious government. And all of that just came to a halt on October 7th, when Israel was devastated by the attack by Hamas and completely mobilized for war. Everyone said it was a time for unity, it's time to pull together, not the time to put pressure on the people who are making life and death decisions. And so here we are, a year after the anti-overhaul protests began and three and a half months into the war, and it seems that now, Linda, once again, on a regular basis, Israelis are back in the streets. Last Saturday night, there were demonstrations in many locations in Tel Aviv and across the country. Thousands and thousands of people showed up. And as usual, Linda, you are out covering them like in the old days. Can you map out for us how, over the past three and a half months of war, these protests have come back and in what form? Sure. So these are profoundly different from the protests that we saw before. They have different tones, um, in a lot of cases, different leadership and very different objectives. It essentially started with the families of the hostages rallying for their return, essentially begging the government to do anything that they possibly can in order to bring their loved ones back home. These weren't necessarily political anti-government rallies. These were just expressions of fear, rage, frustration from the people who needed to voice it. So those were essentially being held by the Hostages and Missing Families Forum and other organizations in so-called Hostages Square. I think it started with the families of hostages camping out overnight in the square, um, begging for the government to hear their cries for the release. Uh, hostages Square is also set up directly outside the Kiria complex, which houses military headquarters and the defense ministry. That was essentially the start of it. So every Saturday night, these families and the people who came to support them would hold these combination vigils, rallies, and protests that don't necessarily have a political message other than 
bring the hostages home, do whatever it takes, whether that is releasing Palestinian prisoners as per Hamas's demands, or whether that is putting pressure on international organizations, whether that is putting pressure on the Red Cross, people from across the political spectrum would come together around this joint message of free the hostages now. With time, as the objectives of the war got a little bit muddier for a lot of the people in Israel, um, as military casualties were really starting to mount, and as we started to see that the hostages weren't coming back and that we didn't have a deal on the table to bring them back, we started to get more political anti-government protests demanding elections now, um, demanding that Netanyahu resign, demanding that this entire governing coalition essentially resign and proper leadership take over in their stead. So that didn't necessarily merge with the hostages protest. These are being held concurrently. In two separate locations in Tel Aviv? In two separate locations in Tel Aviv. Um, And you see parts of the anti-government, anti-judicial overhaul protest movement returning with these um, resign now protests. They do have the common goal of freeing the hostages. But one of them centers on political activity and one of them centers on this very specific message and goal of bringing the hostages home. So you've attended both of these types of rallies. Can you tell us what they feel like? Are they different in mood, in tone? When you talk to people at the different rallies, are they saying very different things? Are they saying similar things? The rallies are generally saying pretty similar things. Um, And the tone for all of these post-October 7th rallies has been pretty somber. Um, You don't necessarily get the almost celebratory feeling and that very pumped, very energetic street fair. Yeah, exactly. That you would get from the pre-war judicial overhaul protests. You have at both protests, people holding signs with pictures of kidnapped loved ones um, that they want to bring home. An entire group standing together holding signs silently. Um, Each one starts at the moment of silence. So while one of them is more of a almost a vigil environment, um, that being the hostages rally, uh, which is very somber throughout, um, very moving throughout, very emotionally heavy. There is a lot more anger at the government one. Kind of this, we're still in this situation. How dare we still be in this situation? Um... And both of them are essentially making the same message, but at the anti-government one, you get a lot more chanting, you get drums, you get people with horns. And at the one for hostages families, you'll get some chance of bring them back now, Um, but you won't get the same fervor that you'll get at the other one. So 
So you'd think that these vigils at the demonstrations calling for freeing the hostages wouldn't be controversial, but you've reported some pushback against them, right? You've witnessed at some point people telling the hostage vigils, even the hostage families, that these vigils, that these demonstrations are doing damage. Can you talk about the tensions there? Sure. And even Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said that these protests and these vigils um, are, quote unquote, helping the other side, are helping Hamas um, and are beneficial to them. A lot of people are saying that this isn't the time to protest, um, not when people are being killed, um, not when soldiers are dying in Gaza. The families of the hostages essentially say, if these were your family members, you would want these thousands of people out there supporting you as well. If not now, when? Because every minute that these Israelis are in Hamas captivity, time is running out. We don't know their status. We don't know their condition. They haven't had Red Cross visits. So if they don't have the pressure on them to be rescued now, when can we protest? Um, a lot of the chants are... Um, bring them home alive and not in coffins. In the anti-judicial coup protests, these groups came together. It kind of felt like a well-oiled machine. Um, uh, they were very well organized. This time around, does it feel like these same groups are back, these same organizers, these same uh, speakers? Or does it feel different and sort of more put together at the last minute in grassroots? If last time felt like a well-oiled machine, this one doesn't. <laughs> um the individual protests themselves are very well organized. There's a really high production value. You can tell that they really put a ton of work into getting speakers, into sound systems, into visuals. Um, on that front, they're really excellent. But when it comes to the different protests communicating with each other, it seems like that kind of isn't happening. There was one case, I think from last week, when I was at the protest in Hostage Square, and during a speech by a woman who was freed from Hamas captivity, who was speaking quietly and emotionally, you could hear the chants from the protest on the other side. And you could hear the chants from the protest during the minute of silence as well, because the minutes of silence don't necessarily overlap with each other. So it almost feels like these protests are competing against each other when in the past, these different groups were able to bring them together. There are some very pointed, very strong protest movements overseas around the world calling ceasefire now. Um, are there any kinds of those protests happening here in Israel? There certainly are. One of the other protest groups that is also putting on their demonstrations in the exact vicinity as the other ones um, is the self-proclaimed radical block and the block against the occupation who will hold up signs that say um, stop the killing. Um, on Saturday night, they held one that said stop the genocide, which got confiscated by a police officer while I was there. And they are essentially asking for a prisoner deal and a ceasefire and an end to the blockade of Gaza. And that's 
more aligned with the international protests that you're seeing, the international pro-Palestinian protests. Um, they chant in Arabic to end the occupation. Uh, it looks a lot more like the ones that you'll see overseas. Um, they have a little bit more stress on freeing the hostages than the ones overseas do. And they um, aren't always getting their demonstrations approved, these far left demonstrations. No. For permits by the by the police and the authorities. Exactly. Uh, there was a case a couple weeks ago when a slightly more mild uh, set of organizations, including Omdim Biachad, known in English as Standing Together, and Women Wage Peace, um, they filed for a permit to demonstrate asking for a ceasefire. And the police said no. And they believe it's because of public pressure but the police approved a similar rally the next week. And it was largely just asking for peace. It was under the banner of, without peace, there can be no security. And it saw some police action. Um, police came and ripped away signs from protesters that had semblances of the Palestinian flag. I saw an officer walk up to a woman who had a hat that had both the Israeli and Palestinian flag and just snatch it off her head but it did get approved do you see the government reacting to the return of the protest movement i don't know if it's the government but definitely on the right there's been a smear campaign against shikma bressler one of the uh, organizers of the original anti-coup protest movement who i think is still is involved again now in uh, in anti-government protests yeah figures like shikma bressler never really stopped criticizing the government uh, through this. And she's been active on social media as well, uh, asking where the government is post-October 7th. And uh, members of Knesset have taken aim at her, and there have been conspiracy theories that they've essentially been propagating. So there's been that sort of pushback. There's also pushback on the personal level, which you'll see at particular protests, people driving by, spitting at people, yelling at people, um, a lot of tensions, a lot of uh, feelings running high. So we have to also mention demonstrations or events, I guess, coming from the other side, from the right. Uh, over the past few days, um, this particular week, we've seen demonstrations at the Karam Shalom crossing into Gaza, um, protesting the movement of humanitarian uh, aid into Gaza. Can you tell us about those? Yeah. So these are protests that are in support of the hostages that kind of take it from a different direction from the other hostage protests. They essentially say that while Hamas is attacking Israel and holding Israelis hostage, why should Israel be providing them aid? Um, which isn't necessarily a far-right fringe belief. Um, you'll see that question pop up pretty often. Why does Israel aid an entity that is trying to hurt it? Um, but they've been protesting against uh, the aid trucks in Kelim Shalom crossing. There was also the conference that we saw this week, uh, which ministers Betzalel Smotrich and Itamar Ben-Gvir were keynote speakers for, saying that we need to resettle Gaza. And it sounded more like a rally, really, than even a, a conference. What is a conference but a rally with uh, <laughs> pre-registration? Right. So in, in this particular case, you do see a different kind of activism, uh, even if it's not branding itself as such. So, you know, none of us are prophets, but do you see this really spreading into, again, Israelis on the streets 
I mean, mostly I would imagine from the protesting the government, protesting the war side, but maybe also counter protests on the right side. Do you see this um, uh, really growing in the in the near future if we assume that the situation is not going to change radically one way or the other? I mean, considering the fact that we already have a really good example was this women's movements protest, which was not necessarily one organization, but a conglomerate and regular citizens um, speaking generally as women coming together throughout the country throughout the day on Wednesday to rage uh, demanding the return of the hostages. I can see a lot more of that happening. Um, You can't just have nearly 140 people in the hands of an enemy that has committed mass slaughter um, and sit tight as as a country, as a culture. I don't think anybody would be able to. And a lot of the hostages' families have been very clear in saying that the state is failing in its contract to the citizens every single day that it does not bring the hostages back. So I can see it growing on that front. I can see people getting more and more upset. Whether or not it will translate into people blocking the Ayalon Highway, into people filling the streets, we have yet to see. And of course, we have yet to see what happens with deals, ceasefires, negotiations in the meantime. Linda, thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, see you on the streets. Thank you so much, Allison. Coming up, a conversation with protest leader Moran Zer Katzenstein. Moran Zer Katzenstein is an Israeli women's rights activist and founder of Bonot Alternativa, Women Building an Alternative. It's a grassroots gender equality organization that rose to national prominence and international fame in the Israeli judicial reform protests. Moran, thanks so much for joining us on the Haaretz podcast. Hi. You were one of the most prominent leaders of the protest movement against the judicial coup that brought hundreds of thousands of Israelis into the streets last year. That movement, the protest movement, the demonstrations basically came to a halt on October 7th. Can you tell me how life changed for you and your organization on October 7th when the Hamas terrorists attacked Israel? Yeah, well, actually, like all of us, it was a very dramatic day. Um, we woke up to the sirens at six and a half in the morning. And the first thing we did is talking in our management group, checking that everyone is okay. We're friends. So (laughs) this is like we are doing every, the the first thing we do in the morning is text one another. And uh, the last thing we do at night, um, and very quickly we understood how uh, wide this event is because Bonot Alternativa is spread all around the country. So it's like we saw everything happening in our groups, in the kibbutz and in the south. So very quickly we understand that this is like a major event. And at nine in the morning we set a call for the management. And I remember I told them, listen, there is no protest anymore. We are at war. And we shifted all of our resources and attention towards helping the evacuees, helping civilians, helping soldiers, and focusing on women soldiers. And that was like the the first big thing we did. We, all of our uh, biggest uh, 
uh, groups all around the country shifted to uh, operation centers that helped um, the civilians, the community around. That was one of the things, uh, the most important thing we did right at the beginning. Um, afterwards, um, the, we understood that a lot of things need our specific help, like the watchers that didn't get any aid, um, both uh, logistically um, and uh, mentally. You're talking about the female soldiers who were uh, field spotters who were watching the fence and that their base was attacked and many of them were killed and they saw their, their, their fellow soldiers killed around them. Yeah, and we understood very quickly that uh, some of them didn't have even uh, uh, clothes to change. They were sleeping in the war room on the floor. Uh, some of them like didn't even have uh, blankets. So we made sure we send them everything. We also helped the, the wives of the reserves uh, soldiers. And um, I think like every aspect of, of the war um, related to women is uh, something we are focusing on. But the, the other thing we did very quickly, we understood that first of all, that there were horrific things that happened during uh, October 7th and ever since by Hamas crimes against humanity uh, committed against women. And that was the first shock. The second shock was that the world doesn't believe us. So we started a campaign uh, and demonstrations and displays all around the world because we have Ponot Alternativa in dozens of cities around the world. If you happen to see the women uh, with the, the stains of blood over their bodies or stuff like that, we did it in the U in front of the UN and several times in New York as well. So this is also was a very big campaign, and we also met um, with uh, reporters from the New York Times and other major outlets and gave them like a background talk and information. Um, so that also was a very big campaign for us. It was very important for us. I mean, and actually, it struck us uh, shocked that. We couldn't understand how it can be that, you know, women organization, the UN women, and, you know, even just liberal women, women who consider themselves feminist, don't believe Israeli women, or saying that it's, we need to understand the context or something like that. And now our focus is about leadership, a lot of uh, people, a lot of political uh, uh, entrepreneurs, let's call, let's call it like that are thinking about rebuilding Israel, Israel 2.0, they have all kinds of names. And our message is that you can't rebuild Israel if you don't have female partners, not here and there. Female as full partners, especially since we have so many talented, professional, skilled, experienced women, and a lot of them were taking very uh, major part in the government until this current government took all of them out. So it's not like we lack those professional women. And this is like a very mess, uh, strong message that we have to all parties or all future parties that if they don't have uh, equality in the amount of women in their list, then they are not liberal and they are not an alternative. 
And this is also a very big focus. And next month we have the municipality election. And this is also very important for women as well. Me as a mom, my municipality has a lot of influence on my life and my children's life. And sometimes we don't really understand how important the municipality election it is for women especially. So this is also something we are focusing in the next month. Right. The municipal elections were your big focus, again, leading up to October 7th, and then they've been delayed, and now they're only sort of coming back in the news. We've been talking on this podcast about Israelis now getting back on the streets protesting, but the causes and the goals of the protests are now different and diverse. We have the solidarity with the hostages protests. We have the overturn the Netanyahu government. It continues to be dangerous as it was before, if not more so now. What is your organization calling for? Are you back on the streets, active in the protest movement? Are you ambivalent about going out and protesting against the government in wartime? Uh, Where does your organization stand on this? So Bonot Alternativa criticized the government move since uh, October 8th. I mean, uh, this government is keep uh, harming women's and women's rights. Uh, all the things that we said uh, a year ago that might happen, happened in front of our eyes. So this is not imaginary anymore. So when we see that uh, the government is doing things against women's rights, we are talking, we are demonstrating, uh, for example, uh, the handout of guns without any, you know, any any background check. So we did a lot of activities around that and now they are stopping it because the legal counsel said to, she need to examine how it works. So there is a lot of of things that we are active, um, but we are focusing on the release of the hostages and especially the situation with the, the young women there. But of course, we need we want to release um, all of them. Um, so this is something, yes, that we are out in the streets. We went to out in the streets last, last Thursday, and we are doing it again this Thursday with the co- cooperation with other uh, women movements and, and other movements. And that's a very great focus. And... Um, and we and when we have to say the things that we are thinking about this government, we don't hesitate to say there is no strategy. And this government is taking us really bad places. And that's very hard for me as a civilian, as a woman. Are the groups that were behind, that were banded together for the uh, anti-judicial coup protest movement that brought so many people out, are you all back together? Is the organization the same as it was before? Is it coming together again? Or has the war changed everything? I think the war changed a lot of things. Uh, some of the groups uh, grouped up uh, together for a protest against the government. Um, and Monot Alternativa also, um, act, some activists are taking part of it. And this is something that we are fully support if women from Bonot Alternativa wants to take uh, part in those demonstrations. In Tel Aviv, uh, for example, uh, we're starting at the demonstration at Abima and then we moved to the rally for the hostages release. But not all of the, the groups uh, joined uh, back together. Uh, some of them are more uh, focusing on uh, helping civilians and uh, taking a very great uh, big part 
in helping Israel right now, um, but in a more uh, helping manner and not a protesting manner. There are no women in the war cabinet. When you look at the policymakers and the people giving commentary on television, I always say in the war time and violence, you see the women disappear from the screens, both the interviewers, the interviewees and the politicians. Do you feel like women have gone backwards now during this time of war? Or on the other hand, there are a lot of, you know, female heroes on October 7th and um, and stories of bravery and the lesson that if maybe they had listened to the female field spotters who had seen the Hamas activity, we wouldn't be in this problem. In general, how do you feel like the war is affecting the status of women in Israel? So I totally agree with what you said. I mean, from the one hand, we have the female soldiers and we have the brave mom keeping their life and their children and their family uh, attached and uh, while their husbands are away for over 100 days. And we have women like Bonot Alternativa that, you know, helping the civil the civilians. But from the other end, and I think there is a lot of acknowledgement in, in the Israeli population, and it doesn't matter if it's left or right about the importance and the place of women. And that doesn't reflect in the decision-making table. It doesn't reflect on our government. They are keep firing, even today, women in management roles, senior women. Um, today, uh, the economic uh, minister, uh, Barkat, uh, wants to fire one of the leading women, uh, Michal Cohen. And, and yes, I mean, they're still doing it and uh, they're still removing women and I think that's because women are better gatekeepers and they're trying to keep this um, this administration working as it should and I think it's a problem for this government because they want to do what they want to do and not everything is legitimate sometimes and women as gatekeeper are <laughs> much more tougher, so they're trying to remove them. Yeah, we uh, mentioned earlier in the podcast that uh, there's a smear campaign over the woman who has been the face of the protest movement, uh, Sheikma Bresler. Exactly. So I think it's very easy to target women in general, to uh, cancel women. And I think the worst part is that they sent uh, Tali Gottlieb to do it. Like they sent a woman. So the criticism... won't be like it will be a woman, so we won't be able to criticize criticize her. But of course, we understand that the government and the hate machine is behind it. You watched the protest movement grow last year from something relatively small to huge. Do you see the same thing happening now as this war wears on, as the goals of the war uh, remain unclear in terms of the long-term vision for Gaza as the hostages don't appear to be coming home anytime soon. Do you think that these protests are going to swell to uh, to huge numbers like they were? It depends what's the mission. Our mission last year was to, so- to stop the judicial overall. And we did. We succeeded in every part. But now our mission is that our hostages will be back home, but we need to win this war. We need to destroy Hamas. And our prime minister is not doing anything, any part of it, um, because what I believe is political uh, 
uh, concerns. And, you know, even the fact that the humanitarian aid that we bring into Gaza goes to Hamas and they give it to civilians, it means that we are keep straightening Hamas. And this is exactly what happens when you don't have a strategy. And um, this is like the, the government is still not changing it bad ways, you know. So if at the beginning of the war, people were pretty much agreed that they, even though they don't like Netanyahu and many may blame him for the country situation, it's not the time to change governments. Do you think that that sentiment is changing in terms of we're seeing more people out there demonstrating, calling for the government to change and that there's going to be greater movement to try to do something now? I think that the one part is wants to keep us all together and united and doesn't want to go to demonstrations because he feels this is a very important uh, time in our life as a country. And I totally understand it. And um, I, I, I can even relate to it. But from the other end, we see what happened yesterday. Like, 24, I think, uh, ministers and member Knesset took part in a huge event of the Tzianuta Datit uh, in Jerusalem, a huge event called going back to Gaza, like, you know, like settling Gaza, which is horrifying. And they're doing whatever they want. They don't care if they're harming, like, what about the families? What about the soldiers that was killed, that were killed? I mean, they don't care about anyone and they don't hear like we need to be re reunited, even if they know that that will hurt a lot of people's feelings. And even if they know that that doesn't have any option, you know, but they still go ahead and do it. So there is something not quite uh, symmetric. You said again that you're refocused now on the municipal elections as you were before October 7th in order to send a message of unhappiness uh, with this government to vote for people in the protest movement are now running in the municipal elections and opposition parties are running the municipal elections. Are you still focused on this? And are many women in Bonot Alternativa running in these elections? 30 women out of Bonot Alternativa are running, but not as part of Bonot Alternativa. We are an NGO, but there are women that founded their voice and leadership in their activities in Bonot Alternativa. And right now they are uh, running for council municipality election. And um, we are advocating for everywhere there are women in decision-making table. It doesn't matter if it's from Bonot or not, it's important. Do you want to uh, enter politics? Do you want to be a political leader? You have these big signs, Israel needs leadership. You've been very prominent all over the Israeli media. Do you think that maybe it's time to practice what you preach and enter politics? I think that a lot of us need to step forward, especially after what happened, and take part uh, in this political sphere, both municipality and uh, both countrywide. Um, and uh, I think Bonot Alternativa mission is to make sure that we have a lot of women also, first in municipality, but also if there will be election, country elections also make sure that there is a 50% uh, representation in this election as well. So there's a chance we might see your face in the next uh, national elections? I don't know yet, but uh, I wish I could do something meaningful. Moran Zer Katzenstein, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much.
And that wraps things up for the Haaretz podcast. Thanks to my guests, Linda Diane and Moran Zer Katzenstein, and to my producer and editor, Nara Malkin. I'm Alison Kaplan Summer, and until next week, Shalom from Tel Aviv. Thank you.